conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, and I am joined by a brand new guest, Emily Edwards. Emily, it's your first time on the podcast, so I'm going to give you a chance to quickly let everyone know what it is you do. Awesome. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk about this wonderfully geeky thing. (laughs) I am the host of Fuckboys of Literature, and uh, we are a literature podcast on pretty much all platforms, and we talk about uh, toxic people in literature, whether they be classic novels or mythology or even writers. We tackle all these sort of toxic, terrible things that people do to each other in books. (laughs) Sounds like a fun, fun time. Yeah, you know, it's it's actually funnier and more fun than most people expect it to be. So that's a nice little compliment that I've gotten in the past. Nice. Well, today we are going to be discussing Knives Out, the Ryan Johnson movie. And when you and I were figuring out a topic to discuss, I was like, I haven't discussed this. And we both got so excited about it. So I am really thrilled to talk about this with someone because I've been holding back. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of surprised and disappointed with myself that I hadn't thought to do an episode on it yet. And (laughs) it worked out perfectly for us. And I want to start by just getting a feel for how many times you saw this in theaters? Did you go once? Did you go more than once? What was your viewing experience like overall? So I have to admit that I am a really hesitant theater goer. So I actually put off seeing this for a little while and I actually put it off for weeks. So I am a one-time watcher, but it was fairly recently. I went with absolutely high expectations and they were all met because I, I, I had been holding this movie in like so close to my heart as soon as it was announced. And so I was regretfully, I couldn't see it right when it came out. So I went to go and see it maybe about two weeks ago, just once in the movie theater, but I want to go and see it again. I've already pre-ordered the the Blu-ray and the DVD. Nice. I think there are going to be some fun extras and everything on the Blu-ray. So that might be something I eventually have to pick up too. But with my AMC Stubbs A-list membership, I've been going to the movies more frequently in the last couple years than I ever have before. It wasn't really something I did all the time. So I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, knives out, gonna go see that I took my mom, and we both had such a fun time with it. And the theater experience, you know, I am fortunate to where I can go in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, I get quiet theaters, (laughs) unless you know, it's something like going to see Star Wars opening day. It's like, you know, that's going to be crowded no matter what time you go. But yeah, exactly. I really enjoy when you have fewer people in the theater just because there's less of a risk of disruption. And with this movie, Mm -hmm. you definitely want to be paying attention the entire time and not be distracted by some, you know, crying child (laughs) or anything like that. So that was nice. And I think we'll go ahead and just dive into the cast and crew because that's really what stood out to me when I first watched the trailer. I was like, oh, look at all these people and they're all together. And it just made me so happy that Chris Evans is finally free. I know, I know. It actually felt like an event movie to me because of just the number of names and amazing actors that they had show up in this movie. Like Daniel Craig and Chris Evans and 
you know, just Don Johnson making a return from like a place where we haven't really seen him for a little while. And he just knocked it out of the park. Jamie Lee Curtis was just phenomenal. And I like actually forgot it was her for a little (laughs) while because she was so good. It was just really fun to watch this just amazing, amazing ensemble cast get together and just like just flex in every way that they could. It was just so fantastic. And you have Anna de Armas, who was certainly a standout. My apologies if I totally butchered her name. I'm pretty bad with names when I only read them ever and never hear them said out loud. But her and even Toni Collette, she's been on a roll lately. I was like, yes. Oh, my God. Okay, this is great. And the way that everyone meshed together, even some of the characters that weren't necessarily major figures in the movie like the kids you have these performances where you're just like okay you know yep that's bill denborough so (laughs) you know he's just popping up in other things now yeah it was just so spot on and just the the kids who were happy to just kind of have their couple of lines like the 16 year old son whose character name i completely forgot that's why i called him bill denborough because he's from the it movie (laughs) and it seems like all the it kids are getting more roles now and you're just like oh there's so and so and so and so from this movie Yeah, he just delivered his like six lines absolutely perfectly and was just like, he was almost treated like a set piece, but it was still wonderful. Like he still completed the entire like um, ambiance of the movie, just having him there in that ridiculous like tennis sweater and stand (laughs) there and look like, he looked like an antique and it was just like the most perfect use of that kid. Yeah, his name is Jaden Martell. I always draw a blank on his name and the Uh, daughter was Catherine Langford from 13 Reasons Why. So these kids had been in other things. But yeah, just the fact that we recognize them, even if we're like, okay, I don't really know why I recognize them. And I haven't even Mm -hmm. seen 13 Reasons Why, but yet I still recognize her. So I was like, okay, here we go. These faces are all largely familiar to, I would say, a large group of people who were going to go see this movie to begin with. And You know, I love the Marvel movies. I have covered every single MCU movie on this podcast. So it's not Mm -hmm. even that I was upset that Chris Evans wasn't in other things because I loved him as Captain America, but he's having so much fun in this role and you can just tell on screen and it just worked so well. So it's not even that I'm like, oh man, Marvel just held him down for so long. Yeah, It's just one of those things where it's nice to see these familiar faces go and do something else. You know, Jamie Mm -hmm. Lee Curtis, a lot of people will know for being a scream queen and being in a bunch of 80s horror movies. And to see her in something like this much later in her career and the fact that her career is still so fantastic in so many ways, it's just so refreshing to see a movie like this that knows how to take these strengths from these actors and just let them run with these characters. Like, I think people forget that Chris Evans has kind of come from like a comedy background. And while he always had like decent laugh lines in the Captain America movies, like I really do think of him as a very strong 
funny actor. And for him to basically just come into this movie and sort of be the comic relief, despite the ending, which we won't real, well, which I'll leave it to you to spoil. <laughs> but like, you know, he comes in, he chews his scenery. He is just this suave, debonair, snarky asshole. And it's just such a wonderful reminder that when you give him the time and the openness to deliver the funny line, he delivers it really, really well. And I hope that kind of gives him an opening to sort of transfer into that, maybe not rom-com lead because rom-coms don't really do well anymore, but that sort of just like, God, I hate you, but I still really love you, like funny guy role that I think is kind of lacking or has really just been taken up by, um, oh my God, I forgot his name right off the top of my head. The guy who plays Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds. Yes. Who, you know, who's really cornered that market for a little while. But I think that Chris Evans can kind of like work his way back into it where it's like, you're so damn charming, but you're so damn cool. Yeah. A few other cast members to make note of are Michael Shannon, Lakeith Stanfield, and obviously Christopher Plummer, who is just fantastic Mm -hmm. as the head of the family. And he knows exactly how each of his children will react to whatever Mm -hmm. comes next. And he really just sticks it to all of them in such a way where you're like, wow, I am actually kind of surprised. But given how they reacted the entire time by the end of it, you're like, no, yeah, they kind of all deserve that. Mm-hmm. And I always forget that Lakeith Stanfield is so young. He is so young, and he just added the perfect touch of seriousness to this role. That was just like I, he was just a great like base constant for this movie. And to do that at like twenty seven is amazing. He is so young, but he really, really was phenomenal. He's been on such a hot streak lately, too. And I know he has some yeah. upcoming movie. What is it? The Photograph. It's like a Valentine's Day movie. So that is something where I was like, oh, Lakeith Stanfield's in this. Yes, I'll yeah. possibly check it out. Even though it's one of those things where, you know, with AMC A-List, I can go to the movies three times a week. Unfortunately, I moved to Colorado recently, so when it snows, I'm definitely not going to the movies three times a week, but (laughs) the option is there, so I'm getting to see all of these movies that I otherwise probably wouldn't have picked out to see, and I think Knives Out is one of those movies just because before I would go to the movies for the big blockbuster things like the Marvel, DC, Mm -hmm. and Star Wars movies, basically the things that this podcast kind of thrives on, Yeah. the ultra geekdom movies. And with Knives Out, it was just something that was so up my alley. I was like, okay, I need to see this on the big screen because if I don't, I'll probably regret it. And it was such a fun time that it seems so rewatchable too. And Ryan Johnson is someone whose movies I'm not 100% familiar with. I've obviously Mm -hmm. watched you know, probably three, four or five of his movies and a couple mm-hmm. I probably didn't even realize they were Ryan Johnson movies. But yeah, he doesn't have that many, which is yeah. like really surprising when you go and look at his IMDb, where it's just like, you know, you had Brick and you had Looper, Brothers Bloom, and then it was just Star Wars and this really are the really big ones. Yeah. So really, I've seen Star Wars, this and Looper, I believe, and that's it from him. And I keep hearing a lot Mm -hmm. about Brick, but I think he has something here that you can 
work with and kind of turn into this bigger IP if he wanted to. And Mm -hmm. I guess we'll spoil the story a little more now because I do eventually want to talk about what comes next for Knives Out and the potential for sequels and everything, which Ryan Johnson discussed. But story-wise, this mystery thriller Agatha Christie type locked house mystery is just so so fun. And you don't need these massive settings. You know, obviously the house itself is massive and a beautiful Mm -hmm. house. And you just have these different areas of the house that are like, okay, this is where so and so goes to hide out and relax. And, you know, this yeah, is it's where like a clue board. It's yeah. just so fun. <laughs> this is where Harlan goes when he needs his time. And you have Anna de Armas's character, Marta, who with her home that's like just, yeah. you know, tangentially removed. It's really lovely. He played with this concept that, you know, is well known in the Agatha Christie novels of just sort of because in Britain, where she normally set her um, her mysteries, you have that concept of like landed peerage, whereas someone mm-hmm. owns the manor house, but they also sort of own the town that's around it. So oftentimes her detectives would kind of go to like uh, a crofter's home that's still on the property. So there's still this sense of ownership. And that's kind of how it felt in Knives Out too, where like you have the main manor house, which is Harlan's house, where all of this is happening. But because she's so dependent on Harlan's money, it also does kind of feel like the family has a sense of ownership over her apartment as well. Like when Michael Shannon's character shows up and just tries to like barge into her back door, they have such this amazing sense of ownership and privilege over her and her life that it still feels like old money, old British money, old Mm -hmm. sense of like ownership and superiority, even though we normally think we like naively think we don't have that in America. And it's just like, nope, we do. And Ryan Johnson did such an amazing job of detailing that in all the characterizations and the story. And there's even more of a stark difference because it's sort of this white privilege Mm -hmm. because Marta isn't from a white family who is well-to-do and she's really just trying to honestly earn her living. And yeah. And the amazing running joke of all of the family members not knowing what country her parents are (laughs) from. It's Uh, just, it's so insulting and such like the pitch perfect note to give them where it's just like, they don't care. They don't Mm -hmm. know. And it's, it's, it was brilliant. And it changes every time they have a conversation about her. Every time. They have no idea. But with Harlan, even though he's the oldest, and you would think, therefore, he would be the least in touch with reality, Mm -hmm. kind of. He's the one who treats her so much better than everyone else. And I think it's because he understands what he has mm-hmm. and the fact that his children never really worked for any of it. And then you have yeah. Tony Collette's character, Joni, who married into the family. Mm-hmm. The husband passed away and now she's sort of just leeching off of Harlan. And yeah, she has this quote unquote, you know, lifestyle company, which kind of reminded <laughs> me of something like, 
Gwyneth Paltrow's goop or, you know, mm-hmm. honest from Jessica Alba, I believe. And it just felt so Hollywood. Yeah. And I loved that it was called Flam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As in Flim Flam. And yeah. it just made me so happy. Um, yeah, like there's that running line where Jamie Lee Curtis repeats, you know, my father and I both built something from nothing. And at some point, Ransom, who's played her son, who's played by Chris Evans, goes, yeah, she built it with a million dollar gift from my father. Like, what are you talking about? Built this from nothing. <laughs> and I think that's that kind of like generational wealth that like um, a lot of Americans have now where it's like my great, like, I'll just speak for myself. It was like my grandparents were in World War II and then like they grew up in the depression, like not super well off. One side was better off than the other, but like my parents didn't grow up with like a whole lot of want. And now I'm in that third generation where you're like, it was always like this. And it's like, no, it was not. People had to earn this. People came from really vastly different, you know, backgrounds that you can't even comprehend. It's one of those things that I think comes up a lot just with so many different intellectual properties. And I'm sorry, I keep going back to comics here, but it's much in the way the Wayne family ran Gotham. Mm -hmm. You know, they came from old money and a writer I enjoy reading, Mark Bernardin, he's more into the TV world now and he does a podcast with Kevin Mm -hmm. Smith, but he wrote about why... Batman shouldn't be portrayed by a Black actor. And it's because of where he comes from. So that's the same with the Thromby family. You know, they are old money. And to change that would just change sort of the landscape of history and wouldn't necessarily be as believable. And I don't think, you know, that's going to change. You know, I think that there's a difference in that they're not really old money. Like, I don't, you know, Harlan probably grew up middle class because there's not a whole lot of working class people from that of that age that were like, I'm going to be a mystery writer. But, you know, that level of wealth that they have with that giant manor house, there's a crack kind of at the end of the movie where Ransom is saying, like, this is our ancestral home. And Benoit Blanc looks at him and says, you're grandfather bought it from a real estate developer in the 1980s. This isn't an ancestral home. You guys think you have generational (laughs) wealth, but you don't really. Like this is two generations is not old money. In their mind, it is though. You know, the way the family acts, they're like, oh, you know, this is just how our family is. We just get all the money. And it's like, no, Harlan actually did this. And I kind of just use that Batman reference because it really feels like this family has that sort of entitlement to them aside from Harlan. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. it's one of those things where because of Harlan's age, they kind of let you believe that it is old money because he looks like he's the 108 years old in this. Exactly. You're just kind of like, oh, okay, this is something that they've had for quite some time now. And the fact that it doesn't go back generations before Harlan, it's still a three-generational thing because you have Harlan, you have his kids, and then their kids, and they're kind of all expecting something from this Mm -hmm. money that they just assume ownership over. And it's not necessarily that 
they shouldn't expect to get their father's money because that's what happens, you know, 99.9% of the time. But it's just the way they act. You're just like, yeah, no, none of you deserve this. And Marta Mm -hmm. never once really asked for anything. She just did her job. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point in the story where they, you know, Benoit again asks her, like, how did you come to work for these people? And she said, you know, I was here as a part-time nurse 15 hours a week, and then Harlan just upped my hours. She never says, like, I asked for more hours. She said Harlan just upped my hours and wanted a companion. So, you know, she's really the only person who's never She's shown up for the person and cared about him, and that was enough for him to really feel for the first time, assuming in his life, like actually loved and wanted. And so, you know, it's not really a surprise when he said, when you find out that, like, spoiler alert, like she's getting everything. Like she, because he'd already demonstrated that he was going to give her more than she could ever expect. Yeah, I also love how they make it so that you don't really know what's going on with each of the children, because Mm -hmm. it's kind of obvious to me that the younger grandchildren don't really have anything to do with anything. They're kind of just there because they're supposed to be there, and they probably Mm -hmm. don't really want to be there because they're just like, oh, my God, family drama. Here we go. And Mm -hmm. you have this set of characters that are all suspects. And I think the only safe bet is that we kind of know Marta would never be the person to do anything from the beginning, just because of her demeanor, the way she appreciates what Harlan has given her. And she feels so guilty when she thinks it was her. But then we're kind of like, yeah, there's no way it's her. They wouldn't do that to the only prominent non-white character in the movie, especially given... I think the way that Ryan Johnson movies tend to go, they tend to subvert your expectations. And absolutely, you have just such a strong background with all of these actors, putting them under one roof, literally, and just letting mm-hmm. them go at it. And obviously, yes, there's a script, but I think just the way they approached each of these characters was spot on, and it just helped amplify the story so much and made it so much more enjoyable than even the trailer could portray. Yeah. Like, you know, going into all mystery movies and mystery books is that there's going to be a twist that you're not expecting. That's just the pure joy of mystery as a genre. But I was really hoping that when they kind of spilled the beans about Marta's, you know, like, air quotes, accident, that this wasn't going to turn into, there's a very famous Agatha Christie novel called The Murder of Roger Ackroyd. And it's one of those things where at the end, you find out that the murderer is someone you have trusted and you are supposed to trust all along. And when I first read it, I was like, well, that's bullshit because those kinds of like J.J. Abrams twist endings just drive me up a wall. And I was so afraid that that was going to happen. And I shouldn't have been afraid that that was going to happen because Ryan Johnson wouldn't do you like that. You know what I (laughs) mean? Like he's such an artful, just like conscientious writer. And he doesn't quite get the same joy out of like leaving people hung out to dry like a lot of other sort of modern genre writers have a tendency to do. 
I'm going to definitely spoil the rest of this movie now. So anyone who hasn't watched it, stop listening. And I know usually I say spoilers are a given with this, but I'm just giving you extra notice this time for your own sake. Yeah. But when they turn the tables and you find out that it's Ransom who is guilty of everything and Mm -hmm. it's really the great grandmother (laughs) who you find this out from and she's in so little of the movie Mm -hmm. you never suspect that she's going to be the one to help break the case wide open but you have the fact that okay once ransom arrives the dogs don't like him and Mm -hmm. i was doing some reading on the movie after i had seen it and he had treats in his pocket and that's how the dogs ended up going after him and his fantastic sweaters that he had on the entire time but that was just a fun little tidbit and you're like okay yes that's something that will surely make a dog go nuts in the way that they did but just the fact that they only did that with his character i feel like ryan johnson was kind of pointing you in the right direction if you were paying super close attention, which clearly I oh, wasn't because then I was like, oh, oh, ah, okay, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that makes sense. Yeah. I think because I am such an absolutely like rabid mystery fan, I was definitely like sitting on the edge of my seat going like, that's a clue. That's a clue because (laughs) I'm neurotic when it comes to these things. So I was definitely like actively trying to figure it out, like what was happening. And I purposefully avoided like all spoilers. I was like off the internet for way too long and it wasn't (laughs) for The Rise of Skywalker. It was because of this movie. And I was just kind of like, all right, all right, all right. Like looking at all like the set pieces because the set design, like you knew that it was going to point to things. And it was just like absolutely fantastic to watch. And I was fairly certain, like I had convinced myself that it was like one of two options. He was going to be like Ransom by himself, though I couldn't quite figure out why, or the grandfather and Ransom were in cahoots. And I was very happy that it didn't turn out that the grandfather and Ransom were in cahoots because like that would have just destroyed my entire like mindset. So the fact <laughs> that there was only one person who planned this and planned it terribly made me really happy. <laughs> You almost think he's going to get away with it with as much effort as he puts into framing Marta and just finding ways to kind of take the attention off of him. And obviously the big Mm -hmm. argument in Harlan's office, you're kind of like, okay, you know, he found out he wasn't going to be in the will. He got upset. He stormed out. But then Mm -hmm. he knew the entire time, and this is what makes the will reading scene so fun because he already knew that nobody was going to get anything. So then you're kind of like, well, then why do it in the first place if you know that it's not going to go to any of you? But I think he does it because he's the outsider and he just wants to spite everyone else in the family. So he kind of tries to get it to where he'd still benefit, but that doesn't end up working out. Mm -hmm. And it's just so well done by Ryan Johnson. This was so much fun. And I feel like I'm going to start getting super repetitive soon. So I will kick it over (laughs) to you. Is there anything else regarding the story that you want to touch on? Personally, I love the fact that he made Benoit Blanc you know, a quote unquote, like foreign detective. So like, he's not European, but he Uh is from an outside place. And I'm from New England. And actually I have a friend who grew up in the town where this was shot and to the point where like, he was like, oh, that's my hometown diner that they're eating in. Like, (laughs) that's how like insular New England actually is. And to bring in this 
like cliche sort of foreign detective was just so smart because you have this stereotypical idea of like Yankee wealth and that they're not going to really be open to letting an outsider and especially a Southern outsider into their sort of like enclave. And I just thought that that was so brilliant on Ryan Johnson's behalf of going like, who is a Yankee moneyed family going to look down their nose at? I know this guy with a foghorn leghorn accent. Like, and the accent drove me up a wall, but that could be because I'm a Yankee. And like, I just thought it was like the most brilliant story, you know, point to put in that this, you know, insular, angry Yankee family is going to have to be undone by an outsider. And I just thought it was perfect. Oh, absolutely. You just have such a contrast between his character and everyone else. And even with Lakeith Stanfield being Mm -hmm. in there, he's kind of learning from this guy. He's not really taking charge and being like, no, I'm the cop. I'm the detective. You know, we're going to follow my lead. He's just like, all right, you do your thing. And yeah, the great thing, too, is that it just all looks so good when you have him sitting next to like the fire and he suspects foul play and it's just so well thought out that you're like okay all of this really came together for the final product and it feels like there isn't really a ton to nitpick about it i don't even remember exactly what i rated it but it was somewhere around the four four and a half five range i i I don't know i'd have to go look but it was a blast just to see how it all came together and yeah I know the production design is something we are both fond of. I mentioned the big, beautiful house, but just how they set up every single room within the house, too. Mm -hmm. It was just like, yeah, yeah, this is a rich white dude's house. (laughs) Yeah. I've lived in some weird old houses in my life, and that sort of feeling of compartmentalization that comes from that house and the Uh set design is just it was so spot on. And I just wonder how Ryan Johnson's brain works and how he managed to sort of tell the production designers, this is what I need. I need separate spaces, but it has to feel like it's all one old person's house. And they just went like, okay, gotcha. And made just the most brilliant atmosphere and brilliant environment for this that just like... I have to mention that, like, they didn't get a production design nomination for the Oscars. Crazy. And they are robbed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the hidden window up on that top floor there, it gave me some Winchester House vibes. I was like, oh, oh my God. Are there hidden passageways too and like doors that lead to nowhere? And I, it mm-hmm. just got my brain going. And I don't know if you've been up to the Winchester house at all or down to it. I'm not exactly sure which direction it is from you, but (laughs) it's up from me. (laughs) Okay. It's just so amazing. And when you find houses like that, you can't help but be in awe of them. And I think this is one of those kinds of houses, even if it Mm -hmm. is, you know, a production set for all of the interiors. Yeah. It is, unfortunately. You know, the outside of the house and I think the ground floor was like the actual house and mm-hmm. then like everything else is sets, which is like kind of a bummer to learn. <laughs> but, um, you know, and even down to like the decorations and the art 
like I noticed a lot of like circus posters on the wall. So things that are all about illusion. And then they had also mentioned, and I have to watch the movie again. And when I buy the Blu-ray, I'm going to pause every scene because they have little dioramas of like murder scenes behind, (laughs) like in Harlan's room. And you'll even see them on like the character posters and the one sheets where it's like, there's always something creepy, like there's skulls everywhere or like not, you know, there's knives everywhere, including that phenomenal throne. And it's just the production design of this made it feel so otherworldly, even though it was a place where I have been physically in real life, that it's just, it was so brilliant. It was so brilliant. Like it makes me so excited that I can't even form sentences of just how (laughs) beautiful and fantastical this movie was. Yeah. And when Marta starts freaking out, too, I just thought about this, and she takes the wrong turn, and the camera catches mm-hmm. her, and she just starts freaking out so much. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, what did I do? And she, like, takes the tape and ruins the tape, and it's just so mm-hmm. fun to kind of watch her squirm, in a sense, because we know she didn't do it, but she's the only one who feels like a human because she's the only one who feels guilty about anything. Everyone else is like, gimme, gimme, gimme. And to have that character development for Marta throughout Mm -hmm. where then she's like, you know what? I deserve this more than they do. Yeah. And just to hop back like really quickly to another like story detail, I'm sorry to like slightly derail the conversation. I love the fact that it was set in this small town in Massachusetts because you do get this understanding of like there is inordinate family wealth, but also a lot of small towns everywhere, they're their main streets are broke. You know what I mean? And that like they're old mill towns or they're old factory towns that have never recovered from the industrial revolution. So the fact that like a huge crux of the movie is also like she goes to the downtown or like the main street of the area and she goes into this dirty, like old, like broken out laundromat. And that like that's something that exists in a town with these phenomenally wealthy people. I thought was just like another really great way to sort of show the huge gulf of class divide between, you know, the working people who are in this town and the unworking, you know, completely non-working people Mm -hmm. that are that are foreign and remove themselves on purpose. Yeah, that was certainly done very well, too. So before I continue repeating myself even more, I want to touch on the idea of a Knives Out sequel. And Ryan Johnson brought this up when he was talking to Variety, and I'll link to the article for anyone who wants to read it. But it's one of those things where he certainly has ideas, and he's kind of like, I just need to write it. And, you know, you need Mm -hmm. to be able to get Daniel Craig back, which I believe he is releasing his final Bond movie in the coming months. So maybe he'll Mm -hmm. have some extra free time coming up to start up a Knives Out universe, which, again, along the lines of Agatha Christie stories, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just something that seems to work. Just bring the detective back and use the detective to tell all of these different stories. I think that's definitely a smart move because it's not something that is going to tie down every single person who was in Knives Out. And even Daniel Craig's detective character, and I am totally blanking on his name, Blanc. Oh, Benoit Blanc. There we go. And 
he was just such a presence in the movie that it's like, okay, if you have to pick out one or two people, Mm -hmm. you take Blanc and maybe you even bring Marta back in a way because she kind of has this ability to think outside the box that someone without, you know, a long history of detective work can do. And he really relies on her throughout the entire movie. And her mechanism of being unable to lie without barfing everywhere was so lovely. And I mean, it was disgusting, but it was so (laughs) funny. And to have like a brilliant detective and his vomiting like sidekick would just be such a phenomenal, like weird thing that I think Ryan Johnson would do really just fantastically well. Yeah. And as much as I love Lakeith Stanfield, it would be hard to bring him back unless the crime happens in the same city again. And given how small of a town it was, you're kind of like, okay, unless we go to every single rich family in the area. Yeah. I don't know how interesting the crimes would necessarily be. So unfortunately, you know, that might be a situation where maybe he continues shadowing Blanc and leaves whatever department he's in. That's true. I think that Ryan Johnson has this amazing history of I don't want to say like star maker because that's ridiculous and it sounds like very 1940s, <laughs> but he plucks out young talent that always delivers in his movies. Like Brick was really just a, a breakout role for Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh-huh. and that that movie had like a really fantastic cast for the fact that it was really young. And so I feel like he has a really – good eye for pulling out maybe like supporting cast and people and giving them a role that'll really give them a place to shine. So like Lakeith Stanfield obviously like already had a fun, has a phenomenal career leading up to this, but I feel like he could, Ryan Johnson could do that with other people of just sort of like, here's the cop you don't expect to be good, but you know, we're going to give him something fun to do. Like there was that other cop whose name I don't remember, who was obsessed with mystery novels. And oh, he had yeah. So many good jokes where he's just like, oh, and then this is like this book and this is like this book. And it's just such a lovely little role for someone to do a lot with. And I feel like Ryan Johnson is really good at writing those roles for people. Yeah, and ultimately, that guy didn't even really do much crime solving. <laughs> he was just kind of like, no, oh, I'm a huge fan. And that's kind of why I'm here. And it was just this nice little kind of fanboy moment for him. Yeah, And he just kind of pops up in the background and chimes in when there's something to make note of that's like Harlan's books. And it all around was just a refreshing movie to watch because it wasn't something that was tied to, you know, Disney, Marvel, Star Mm -hmm. Wars, DC, Fast and Furious, you know, all of these lengthy series that have been going on for so many years. And even if he does make a Knives Out universe, at least it's something original. And I guess at one point, Fast and Furious was original, but you know, they've done so many of them at this point, you're just kind of like, where did this come from? (laughs) Yeah. It was refreshing for me to see in a movie that was written for intelligent adults that also wasn't about just like really brutal, like horrible violence. Like, yes, there's 
technically like a murder in this movie, which is like a murder mystery. But it was really nice to see something that didn't have like prolonged torture scenes or like really long fight scenes where lots of people get hurt or like huge catastrophic body counts. It was just really nice to see something that was written that was complicated and mature, but it was written in a way that didn't kind of like take joy in the violence of it. Oh, absolutely. I think this is sort of the perfect kind of murder mystery story to tell for Mm -hmm. the audience that I think Ryan Johnson was going for. You know, things like Marvel and Star Wars, those are movies that are kind of made for everyone and anyone who Mm -hmm. is willing to watch them. But this, I feel like it's a more specific audience, but it's still paid off at the box office. This was something that cluttered my Twitter feed in a good way. And Mm -hmm. people were like, Ryan Johnson, yes, thank you. And Knives Out, go see it. So I was like, all right, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to go see it. And I am probably going to love it, which turned out to be right. Yeah. It's mystery movies and mystery novels are my favorite kind of fantasy. And it's kind of a really prescient thing for America right now, where it's like at the end of a mystery, you always know that the bad guy is going to get caught. And it's just such a wonderful fantasy to sort of lend your brain to for a couple hours. It's just, you know, you're going into this, something terrible is going to happen, but the person who did it is going to see like justice. And it's just a really calming thing to subvert yourself in into for like a couple hours in a movie theater. It's just like, you know, at the end, there's going to be a payoff and the bad person is going to get caught. And I love it. Yeah, it's so much fun. And now it makes me excited to go read a bunch of the Agatha Christie books that I have sitting on my shelf, (laughs) even though I have 852 Stephen King books to read at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the good news is, is that we're getting another Agatha Christie movie this later this year. Death on the Nile with uh, Kenneth Branagh as Poirot is coming out later this year. And there's a bunch of other mystery movies coming out this year as well. So if you liked Knives Out, you've got a bunch of like really old school classic mysteries. And I feel really excited that the you know, genre is going to, it seems to be seeing a little bit of a renaissance. And as someone who writes mystery novels, I hope it sees a really big renaissance because I just love it so much. <laughs> and if you want more of Daniel Craig, just go see the upcoming Bond movie when that's out. Oh, I know. It's going to be great. I hope. Lots of stuff to look forward to this year, but I think that wraps things up. Emily, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Knives Out today. This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Real quick before we go, I just want to let you all know that you can support the podcast on Patreon. I'm going to be reconfiguring the tiers here pretty soon. So by the time you hear this, there will be new ones to check out. I started a Welcome to Geekdom Slack that you can sign up to be a part of through Patreon. And you can follow us on Twitter at GeekdomPod and on Instagram and Facebook at Welcome to Geekdom. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.